This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Psalm 100, I, I just want to keep on talking about worship. Uh, I spoke a few weeks ago about it and I just want to kind of feel like keep it going because I think it's such an important part. I, I want to finish it off this week, so probably the last uh, one I talk for a, a time. But Psalm 100, maybe draw it to a conclusion if you like, but Psalm you never come to an end of worship. This something that we want it to be something that you sort of do in a becomes has to be personalised. Something that you it's a lifestyle. Worship isn't sort of like something we kind of switch on and off. And it's great to hear a lot of the, the testimonies, a lot of the words that came this morning are all connected to worship. They didn't know what I was speaking on, uh, so that's great. Psalm 100. I want to read the whole psalm. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth. Let me love that. Endures for all generations. As you probably, as you kind of read throughout the Bible, we mentioned before that almost worship is one of the is, is one of the major themes of the Bible. Let me just say what we've looked at different, I suppose, terminologies of worship. But the word worship comes from the word kind of worthish, worth, a sense of worth. So worship really is this sense that we 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 value something. You see, what you worship. What you value, you worship. Is that right? So, when I really have a true value of God, the expression of that is worship. We respond to him in worship, in thanksgiving and praise, because we see his value. The question is not that we worship. The question is always what we worship. Because every human being is created to worship. They worship something. Is that right? You'll be amazed at some of the things that people worship. I remember years and years ago, a man worshipped bowls. Remember, you know, bowls where you sort of... And he was there morning and night. And I always remember, if I went to see, he was always polishing his bowls. He's like kind of polishing all the... You know, he, he just took it so much. He lived his whole life. His whole focus of life was that. And, and people worship all kinds of crazy things. But... We've got the wonderful privilege there of worshipping the Most High God. Why do you think God values worship, really? Why is that so important to God? You know what I kind of realised? Because how many believe this morning that God wants what's best for you? How many believe that? He wants what's best for you. And he knows when you put great value on worship, Worship actually has incredible benefit to you. Worship benefits you. Why is that? Because what you worship is what you become. What you set your mind, what your attention and your focus is on actually has the power. You you become what you gaze, what you look at. And worship really, in essence, is gazing on Jesus. 
He's setting your mind, your attention, your focus on him. And so when I focus on him, I become like him. Isn't that wonderful? And so that is the highest goal God has got for you. The Bible says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of who? Christ. So as I worship him, then there begins to happen a transformation in me. I begin to be transformed to be like Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what God's purpose for you is. That you would be transformed. That you'd be predestined into the image of Christ. I love it. And so that's why worship, but that's why God so delights in worship because that's the means of your transformation. I'd say actually, if you gave every part of your day for the next six months to worship, how many would think they'd see incredible benefits from that? Do you think you'd see negative things from that? How many would see that they would see probably transformation in their life? They'd see amazing things changed. Just by saying, you know, every day, I'm going to give a certain point of my day to worship him. Just a minute. I'm just going to worship him. Have worship tapes or not tapes, CDs or iPads. I know, not iPods in your car, whatever else you put in. And just fill your car with worship. Fill your, you'd be very hard to have an iPad, but, you know, fill your homes with worship. Just make it something that that you're going to really, really make a lifestyle. And I guarantee as you do that, you're going to see incredible transformation of that. Now, go back to Psalm 100, because it's like, I think I've shared before, there's like a, I think there's like an incredible process to this. And I think the greatest responsibility of the church is worship. I think everything ultimately flows from worship. Because worship brings you into intimacy, and from intimacy everything flows out of. How many want to be effective in evangelism? You'll find that evangelism will flow out of your intimacy with God. How many want to be effective in their prayer life? It will flow out of your intimacy with God. How many want to really serve God in far greater levels and far greater degrees? will come out of your worship to God. So, so everything will come out of worship because out of worship comes intimacy and out of intimacy, amazing things are birthed. You want to flow in the spiritual gifts more. You want to pray for the sick. It's interesting that Jesus, before he sent the disciples out to, to, to minister, he says, come along, come aside a while and just spend time with me. And as, he spent, as I spent time with him, he then sent them forth to pray for the sick to raise the dead, to do all the various miracles and wonders because he came out of their relationship and intimacy with Jesus. How many can see that? And everything comes out of that. Everything flows out of that. So the more intimate we are with him, the more we're going to see of the supernatural miraculous realm. Can you say amen? Now here's this process. It says you enter his course with what? With? And his course with? Praise. So in other words, that thanksgiving and praise brings you into worship. If I don't really learn to thank him, if I don't come into a place of praise, and I never can come into a place of worship. It always begins with thanksgiving, and from thanksgiving comes praise, and from praise you then enter into worship. I just love that. And it says there, you enter what? You enter his, you enter through the, the gates of Worship. Thanksgiving really is always related really to God's goodness. Whenever you see Thanksgiving, it's always related to God's goodness. For example, 
Psalm 136 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. So you'll find time and time again, whenever you see thanksgiving, you always see it related to God's goodness. So I, I thank him for his goodness. How many believe that God's been good to them? And out of that sense of God's goodness to you, you thank him. I think the very fact you're sitting here breathing is one thing you could thank him for. It's out of his goodness, is that right? You know, your families and all the many things that we take for granted are all a result of the goodness of God. And so I begin to thank him for his goodness. It's almost I'm responding to the acts of God. The fact that he's good and out of his goodness, as I enter into his gates, I begin to say, Lord, thank you that you are so good. I don't deserve this, but you are so good to me and I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mighty acts. I think with thanksgiving, I thought about this just a moment ago, really, you can't, you know, if we're really thankful, it's got to be expressed, is that right? You think in relationships, those of you who are married, the danger is you begin to take your spouse for granted. And sometimes we forget to appreciate our thanks for the things they do, is that right? But it's amazing how thankfulness has an incredible benefit to relationships, is that right? And so if it works on a human level, how much do you think more it works with God? When, whatever God does, whatever, even if it's a small thing, constantly let your response be, thank you, God. You get a parking space. Thank you, God. That's a good thing, right there and then. When you travel along a road without any traffic jams, that's a good thing, right there. No road works, no road closure. Thank you, Lord. There's always something that you can continually thank God for. And when you begin to develop that as a lifestyle, it becomes natural. I love the story once of Smith Wigglesworth. I love some of his stories. He was once on a train and this suitcase fell on his shoulder. Now, that's a good test. When you ever hit your finger with a hammer or something like that, that's a good test of how you're going to respond. And his first response was, praise the Lord. That's how he, first, that's how he, that's how he responded right there and then, in the midst of his pain. Not because he planned it, because it was so natural for him to respond that way to anything in life. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted it to be a natural reaction, a natural response to God. Thank you, Lord. And when that becomes your lifestyle, wow, it's amazing. Now, you enter his gates. That's the first, if you like, that's the entrance point. And from there, you enter his courts. Now, in the courts, you're finding... I want you to think it's really a picture of the tabernacle, if you like. So when they enter the gates, they come through the gates, and then they come into the courts. And in the courts, there's the lava and the altar, which speaks of the sacrifice and the word of God. I'd love to have this fact that we can never really enter his presence without the blood of Jesus. Never forget that. All because of the shed blood of Jesus. All because of the work of the cross that we can enter into his presence. Isn't that wonderful? And you praise God. We're told here that we praise him for his greatness. So you thank him for his what is, and you praise him for his greatness. You praise him for his greatness. Bible says, great is the Lord and greatly to what? Be praised. 
So we praise him for his greatness. And praise is a declaration of the mighty works of God. You think about this. If you're in a football match, right, and your team scored the goal, do you think there'd be quietness? Now, you'll like this, Sid. You'll like this one. Years and years ago, when I was uh, in my early teens, I had an uncle and aunt who lived in Stockport, actually, and he was a great Man United fan, but I forgave him. He was a great Man United fan. And he got me tickets, because it was, I'm going back quite a few years ago, and Birmingham played Man United. So I was really excited. I was only about probably 13, 14, so I was tremendously excited about this, to go, and go to Old Trafford and see Birmingham play Man United, and it was going to be a great thing. And so I went there, but what I forgot and didn't realise, the tickets he got for me were in the Man United fan end. <laughs> And so I think Man United must have won. I think they got 3 or 4 nil. I think, in the end. And every time they scored a goal, everybody go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, sitting there with my arms folded. <laughs> sort of I try not to bring too much attention to myself because I didn't want to walk out alive. You know what I mean? But there's this sense, isn't it? And, you know, you, whenever you see that, in any kind of sport event, when their team does well, that clap, there's applause. You know, Pavarotti. You know, once in one of his performances, people clapped and applauded him for 30 minutes. They were so amazed by his performance. People clapped for 30, can you imagine? 30 minutes non-stop, they applauded him. So here's the point. If people can do that to, to human things, how much more ought we to do that to God? We praise him for his greatness. And the Bible says of praise, we praise him with what? It's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice of praise. So the thing about praise is this, that sometimes you don't feel like doing it. Sometimes you don't feel like praising me. Your, your feelings don't kind of connect with it. Or, or, or your circumstances may be contrary to what you're going through. And it might be, you might be going through a lot of pain and a lot of, a lot of discouragement, but something happens when you praise. Because the Bible says that when you praise, that God enthrones himself in the praise of his people. I think some of the most powerful praise I've ever seen is where I see people with tears streaming down their eyes and they're going through all the heartache of things in their life but they still lift up their hands and they begin to praise him. And it's almost in that midst that God comes very close and comes into that situation. He enthrones himself. He builds a throne over that circumstance and over that situation and you're inviting his presence to descend into that challenge, into that difficulty, into that mountain situation. You're inviting his presence to come. So not wonderful. You enter his gates with thanks, which is, you're thanking him for his, then you enter his course with where you praise him for his greatness. And then, I love this, because then you come to this wonderful place of worship. Isn't that wonderful? You come into that wonderful place of worship. Thanksgiving and praise brings you into worship. Now, think about this. The court, so you enter the gates, you come into the court which is praise. Do you know where worship takes place? In the holies of holies, in the holy place. Because once you've come through the gates, once you've come through the court, you come into, worship brings you into the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? You see, Praise and thanksgiving is something that you, is almost an expression of the mouth. Worship is an expression of the heart. 
It's a deeper level. It's going deeper. It's going to deeper into the presence of God. So I thank Him. I praise Him. And now I'm in the holies of holies. Right there, I begin to worship Him. So thanksgiving is for His what? His goodness. I forget myself. His goodness. Praise is for His greatness. Worship is for His holiness. You worship him, Bob says, worship him in the beauty of holiness. I just love that. Worship brings you into, into that revelation of God's holiness. What is his holiness, really? Holiness is the sum total of his being, who he is. The, the totality of who God is. It's his, if you like, it's his, it's his perfection. It's his sinlessness. It's very hard for us to conceive somebody utterly, totally sinless. That's almost something very hard for us to grasp. But when I've noticed this, whenever there's worship in heaven, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I get this picture that when they're worshipping around the throne, they discover some new facet of who God is. And out of that new facet of God is, there comes a new level of worship. Because you can't really worship unless you have revelation. Revelation begins to stun the heart and and brings worship out of you. In other words, when God reveals something of who he is to your heart, your response is worship. How many found that? I remember the first time I really got a revelation. I knew God's goodness, but when I really had a revelation of it, it just brought me into a new dimension of worship. Is that right? It really did. When I understood how much God loved me, and I got a, an understanding how, lo- how loved I was by it. Again, I knew intellectually, but when it really became a revelation to my heart, it brought me to a new depth of worship. So every time there becomes a revelation, something you, you didn't see, something that really enters and impacts your heart, the response will always be worship. Isn't that wonderful? And so we, we thank him for his goodness. We praise him for his greatness and we begin to worship him for who he is, for the totality of his being. The fact that he's holy. Holy, holy, holy. He's who? The Lord God Almighty. Turn me to Psalm 95. Let's just see some of the some of the kind of if you like, some of the worship, some of the things that sort of Release worship. Psalm 95, verse 6 and verse 7. I want you to see some of the, the aspects of worship. Psalm 95 really is a psalm of worship. And it shows you what happened when the people didn't worship. There were certain things they missed out on because they didn't worship. And Psalm 95 is, it, God calls the people to worship, but it shows the results of what happened when you don't worship. So we're going to take the opposite and see what the benefits are when we do worship. I mean, you can see that. Look at, look at verse 6-7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. For your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For forty years I was grieved with that generation and said, 
which is a people who go astray in their hearts and do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath I would not enter the rest. I think when we worship, there's always certain things that happen. I think here's the first thing as a result of worship. This is a powerful truth. Worship will always enable you to hear the voice of God. It says that because they didn't worship, they didn't hearken to his voice. So with worship, in a sense, is that it enables you to hear the voice of God. You know what Jesus said? My sheep, what? Hear my voice. And because they hear my voice, they what? They follow me. That's a powerful truth. The only way I can truly follow Jesus is to hear his voice. So if I'm not hearing his voice, then I won't be following him. Is that right? And I don't hear his voice unless I worship him. Because as I worship him, I hear his voice. And as I hear his voice, I follow him. And so what we need to learn to do is begin to shut down contrary voices. Voices that are not the voice of Jesus. How many realize, I guarantee even, as you, even before you stepped out of your house, you were hearing contrary voices. Is that right? All kinds of negative thoughts maybe came to your mind. and All kinds of voices that began to kind of enter you or came into your thought life or whatever. How many know that those voices are not there to enable you to follow Jesus? Is that right? In fact, they're there to distract you from following Jesus. And so we need to learn to recognize the voice of the Lord. And when I begin to know his voice, I can truly follow him. And I think people can be led astray. People can go into wrong directions in life because they failed to hear and to recognize the voice of the Lord. How many, how many can see that? And so Jesus says, to name, the only way you're ever going to truly follow me is when you begin to know my voice. And it's in worship more than any other time we can begin to know the voice of the Lord. In other words, if I don't truly worship, then I'm not going to truly hear his voice. And if I'm not truly hearing his voice, then I'm not going to be following him in the direction and the ways he wants me to go. My sheep know my voice. What a challenge right there is. When was the last time you heard the voice of Jesus? When was the last time you, you knew that was the voice of the Lord right there? Because worship... You know what it does? It opens your heart to become sensitive to his voice. My sheep. And I think that's a wonderful thing. You see, by hearing his voice, it's going to stop us making a lot of messes in life. Is that right? A lot of mistakes are going to be avoided if we knew his voice. How many can look back on your life, and I can put a few hands up here, where you've made a, a really bad decision? Because you didn't really get his voice on it. Emily can re- realize that. You can say, oh, yep, that was a bad mistake. That was a bad decision when I look back because I didn't really get his voice on it. And so many realize it's so important that we hear his voice. My sheep know my voice. And when they know my voice, they follow me. Which brings me to the second point. It says, harden not your hearts. You know what worship does? And I love this. Worship softens or tenderizes the heart. There's all kinds of things in life that are out there to harden your heart. How many would say that? You can look at things in life where circumstances, the way people treat us, the way people deal with us in life, have an ability to cause our hearts to become hard. But worship 
Because worship brings you into the presence of the Lord, it enables you to have a soft, tender heart. It stops your heart getting hard. How many say, I don't want a hard heart? We don't want a hard heart. We want a soft heart, tender heart. And because the people didn't worship, their hearts became hard. And because their hearts became hard, they were unable to recognize the voice of God because their hearts become so hard. And I've seen over the years, almost we can get to the point, almost what you hear is like water off a duck's back. It has no impact and no influence because your heart has become hardened to the voice of the Lord. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Keep it tenderized. Keep it soft. So his voice, his word can impact your heart and bring transformation to your life. I love this other thing. If you go on a bit further, it's like, I swore in my wrath they would not enter my what? rest. There's something wonderful about worship in the fact it brings you to a point of rest. No more striving. No more struggling. No more trying to force something in life. And a lot of us can get into a kind of performance-based Christianity. We're trying to force things. We're trying to make things happen. And and our, our, our natural flesh and ability begins to push and strive and struggle. How many realize there's no ever any victory in that place? Victory comes in a place of rest. When you worship, it energizes you. Ever found that? Jesus says, he said, come to those who are weary and who are labor. I've come that they may be at rest. They may have rest in their heart. That's what he came for, to bring us rest. He didn't bring us so that we strive and we struggle. Victory ultimately comes from resting in what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. And we rest in that victory. And out of that, we begin to do his works. He said, amen. You know, I, 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 I just think that there's something so refreshing about worship. You may feel weary, you may feel tired, you may feel worn down by the things of life, and suddenly as you begin to worship, it's almost a refreshing, just pause. How many found that? Like a, a refreshing kind of pours over you, and you feel re-energized and, and strengthened, and all the striving, all the worry, all the anxiety suddenly begins to lift, because you've come into the place of Worship. How many want to say, Lord, make me a worshipper? And there's some amazing things from that. Look at verse 1, because there's an interesting thing I just noticed about that. I think the thing about worship is that, you know the priests, you know the priests, there's two things about the priests. They couldn't enter into the presence of God with linen. You know why? Because it made them sweat. Interesting thing is you weren't allowed to sweat in the presence of God. Because sweat symbolized the curse. Because the Bible says that, that because of the curse, from now on it's going to be by the sweat of your brow. But in the presence of God, there is rest. It's not sweat, it's rest. Resting in the, in the, in the work of Jesus. But notice what it says there in verse 1. It says about, and you'll find it throughout this, it says, it says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of salvation. And you'll find verse 2. Let us shout joyfully to him. And, and, and you'll find one of the real true expressions of worship time and time again is an expression of joy. In other words, you know that the, the, the priest could not enter into the holy place miserable. You just couldn't come in miserable because 
you actually probably, you wouldn't come back out alive. You know that? You, you have to enter his presence with joy. Why? Because in his presence is what? Fullness of joy. So if I've truly come into his presence, one of the results of that will just be this incredible joy. Maybe your circumstances won't change. Maybe your situations won't change. But one thing will be in your heart will be an incredible joy. And because there will be a joy, there will be a strength. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many want to be a worshipper? We just worship him because he's so awesome to be praised. Now, let me just take a little bit further in this worship side. Oh, incidentally, uh, it says, when your fa- verse 9 says, when your fathers tested me, they tried me when they saw my work. In other words, they saw the work of God, but they still didn't trust him. They had no faith. Worship really is all about trust. Because when you worship him, you can't worship him and not trust him. Years ago, there used to be a, a fish and chip shop by a place that we had. And the, and the guy in that fish and chip shop said this. He said, in God we trust, everybody else pays. How many have seen that one? And there's that sense today that we want to come in worship because it's out of trust. We trust him. If you really, as you worship him, it builds a sense that you, you have confidence and trust in him. You can't worship somebody you don't trust. Is that right? Because already it's a, it, it, it's a misunderstanding of who he is. Because if you really know him, you trust him. And if you really trust him, then you begin to truly worship him. Amen. Now, the other thing about worship is this. I found this. This is quite an amazing fact. Every time you see the word worship, there's always a body function with it. So I was trying to think of a word to describe it. That's the best way. There's, there's always something somebody does with their body, basically. Let me give you a few examples. And, I, and it's amazing. And if like those body expressions are not just outward exteriors, but they've got to be something... They, they express an attitude of the heart. Remember, worship is an attitude of the heart. So they express an attitude of the heart. Here's the first thing. Notice what they did. Here's the first thing they did. When they often they worship, they bowed their head. When Moses came back to speak to the elders, and he told them he'd met God, the Bible says the elders, they all bowed their heads. And when you bow your head, what you're actually saying, the attitude of heart is saying, God, I acknowledge you. I acknowledge your rulership. I acknowledge that all I have comes from you. You think what you do when you say grace. You know what you tend to do? You tend to bow your head. Is that right? Because you acknowledge that, God, thank you, this food really is from you. And so the thing about worship is you acknowledge that everything you have and everything you do comes from God. Here's the next thing. Have you noticed they use hands a lot? If you ever meet Jewish people... I must, I actually have got some Jewish background, but the interesting thing is they always use their hands a lot. And I seem to, they always use their hands. They're always expressive with their hands. Uh, and, and you'll find this throughout the thing. Psalm 63, verse 1. You'll notice there's a lot in worship. They use their hands a lot. Psalm 63, verse 1. So we, uh, Psalm 63. Sorry, verse 4. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. I will lift up my hands in your name. When you're lifting up your hands, it's almost a sign that you acknowledge his majesty. You're saying, God, there is no one like 
you. And I'm lifting up my hands and saying, God, there's no one like you. Look at Psalm 143. Psalm 143, verse 6. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you. I love this. Like a thirsty land. I want you to see. At one point, they kind of lift their hands up, which is saying, God, there's no one like you. You're amazing. You're awesome. But then they kind of spread out their hands. It's like this. It's saying, God, as I worship you, I just want to receive of your presence. I want to receive of your spirit. I just want... It's almost... It's a position of being receptive. Lord, just, I just want to receive. As I worship, I, I, there's an expectancy in my heart that when I worship you, you in some way are going to work and going to move in my life. Isn't that wonderful? And next thing they did, which is another main thing, they clapped their hands. Psalm 147, verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all you people. When you're doing that, you're applauding how awesome, how amazing God is. You're saying, God, I just want to applaud. I love that when people applaud. God, I remember being in one meeting, and people, it just non-stop, people just kept applauding. No one asked them to, it, just, it was almost a, almost a response. And people just began to clap, and there's just this incredible applause to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what they did so much. Here's the next thing they did. They bowed the knee. And you'll find that quite a lot. But let's give, let's give a New Testament verse on this. They bowed the knee to Jesus. Paul says in his prayer, he says, Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, what? I bow my knee. And that's really when you bow the knee, that is an expression that says, God, it's an act of Really, just a submission. I if you ever do. I'd love to do that. One of my probably one of my favourite positions is to kind of come about on my knees and just worship on my knees. I kind of love that because when you do that, it's saying, "God, I submit to you." I think one of the, the truths, if you like, that we need to get a hold of is God's sovereign. Isn't that an awesome thing? God is absolutely sovereign. He doesn't need your and I's permission. He is sovereign. He does what he wants to do. When he does what he wants to do, he just wants his submission. We, we, just, we are just submitted to him. We're submitted to God. You know, God doesn't come to me and say, John, I'll tell you what, I've had a great idea. What do you think about that idea? What do, you think of the, do you think the people's like that? What, what do you think they think about that? How do you think I ought to deal with that? He's totally sovereign. He does it when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And what he wants to do. Because, and I think we need to get constantly recognized that God is sovereign. And I think the quicker we get to that point, you feel like a bow in the knee, the more victorious our lives will be. He is sovereign. I think one of the things that happens in life is that sometimes God does things that sometimes we don't always, always realize or recognize or we don't always agree with. And I find often at times people can live with a, with a complaint against God in their hearts. There's like a complaint there. Something happened in their life that never quite understood it. And there's a complaint in their hearts to God. And that often limits that ability to truly worship him. Deal with the complaints of the heart. 
How many of you have ever had things that God's done and you've never understood it? Yeah, things happen like that. What, what? I don't even know why that happened. And sometimes you may never know until eternity. Is that right? Some things will be revealed, some things will be made known. But it almost is coming to a point where we say, God, I don't quite understand that, but I recognize this, that you are what? Sovereign. I bow the knee. The next thing they did often is they just, just, just went flat on their face. They prostrated themselves. And you find that often. In the, in, in, interesting enough, in the book of Revelation, we're told there that when the people came before the throne of God, they prostrated themselves before him. They just absolutely were just flat on their face before God. You know that's saying, God, I just humble myself before you. I can't do anything without you. I am totally and utterly dependent on you. I love the words of John Bunyan. I kind of found these words. I think they're really powerful. John Bunyan said, He that is down need not have no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble shall have, shall have God to be his guide. He says, when you, when you get to that place where you're just low before God, there's only one place to go. You know where that is? Up, is that right? <laughs> and it's so wonderful about that, that we're just saying, God, you know what? I can't do it without you. I'm just totally... I'm not, I love that position myself. You just lay flat on your face before God and say, God, I just can't do it without you. I've, I've failed, I've messed up, and I just need you so much. You just... Remember I said worship is not necessarily words sometimes. You're just laying flat before him, and your heart is just in awe and wonder who he is, and you're just recognizing your dependency on him. Another good, that's a good one. They dance before the Lord. Bible says, David danced before the Lord with all his energy, with all that he had. He danced before the Lord. Isn't it interesting? I thought this myself, actually. We often can sing about dancing, but we don't dance. Isn't that right? You know, lift holy hands. Yeah! You know, even bow the knee. Yeah! Dance. So I, like that. I like the words for that one. Uh, and it's interesting. And, and I'm not saying we all ought to do that necessarily, but the point is, I remember, I can, this story stays in my mind. I'm going back a, lot, a few years ago, and I used to go to, it used to be called Hockley Pentecostal Church in Birmingham. And there were two lady pastors there. They're in their 60s or 70s. I think they're probably in their 70s by now. And actually, it was the biggest church in the UK at that time. Miss Reeves and Miss Fisher, always remember their names. Most amazing women of God you could ever imagine. I tell you what, I've never seen, they cast devils out all over the place. They healed us. They were amazing ladies. And when they prayed, you felt, you felt the heaven shaking when they prayed. And they, they were just so powerful ladies. They influenced so many ministers in the ministry today. Their influence was amazing and impact. In fact, I was talking to John Glass, and he was saying that they're one of the two ladies that influenced him in his ministry, these amazing ladies. And I always remember when I saw them dance. You know, they were really skinny little ladies. And I was... Now, if you, if you know me as a person, I find it even hard to kind of, in a natural way, dance. If I, if I go to any, any do's... I'm the one who sits on the side watching. How many know that? And I, I feel very conscious. And I'm, not, I don't, I'm not really into dancing in that respect. So that's me naturally speaking. And so I saw these two ladies. They, used to, they, 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 they dance in the country. It's like a bit of a jog there. And they just skip around the church when they dance. I think once she had even, even had a tambourine when she did it. And she was... At first I thought, that is weird. That is strange. Because I, I came from a brethren background. To, so to me, this, was, this is way out. This is weird. But suddenly I thought... They are so, there's something about that, I'm going to do it. And I just did it, I just began to dance. And, and I remember the, the reaction was this. I had this incredible sense of liberty. 
I felt such a liberty. And I think that's the expression of dancing. It creates a liberty. Almost if you can dance, there's a liberty there. There's a freedom there that sets you free. There's something about it. And the Bible said, David danced before the Lord with all his might. Because he was so free. And the weird thing is, when you begin to do it, first you're very conscious. But after a time, because you become so liberated, so free, you could not care less what anybody thinks. Because there's such a liberty that just enters your heart and enters your spirit. And so David learned that lesson. I remember years, for a few years ago here, actually, it was early in the morning, and I found out the word exalt means to jump up and skip around. And so I thought, I'll try that. I thought, no one around, early in the morning. And so I did. I, I, I ran and jumped up and skipped around. And I could notice, I suddenly realized there's this guy walking around, looking, what on earth is going on there? You know, and something about this incredible picture of, of being able to do that, just liberated and freeing God to go do it. Let me just finish with this, because time has gone. John chapter 12 is other things I want to remember. But let me just maybe land it. One, I think one of the greatest expressions of worship. I love Mary of Bethany. How many love Mary of Bethany? I think she's... Every time I just read her life and her example, it just somehow stirs something in me. This is one of the real great expressions of worship. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a spinard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas of Iscariot, Simon's son, who will betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used it to take what was put in it. Then Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this day for my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but me you do not always have. I just, that's still, every time I read that, wow, it just stirs your heart, doesn't it? How did Mary anoint his anointing for burial? Because if you read a story in Luke 10, she was at the feet of Jesus. It's interesting that after he died, that the other ladies went to the tomb to anoint him. You know what? It was too late. He'd gone. He'd rose. But Mary, because she sat at the feet of Jesus, recognized something. She realized his sacrifice was about to take place because she sat at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says she took an alabaster bottle that was worth, you think about this, one year's wages. Often, they would do that to keep for their, if you like, it was their pension when they retired, if you like, because it was worth a lot of money. Very expensive oil. Very expensive perfume. And she broke that alabaster box and poured it on Jesus. You see what worship really is? It's pouring your love on Jesus. It's seen his value. It's seen his worth. And out of that you pour extravagance. I think everyone somewhere has something of extravagance that you want to pour to Jesus. To you, it may not be your perfume oil. It could be 101 things. But you offer it to him as a sense of, I just want to love you. And I just pour it out as an extravagance to you because I love you and I worship you. Ultimately, worship is all about loving Jesus. It's not really about the songs that we sing. It's not about the type of music. It's all about Jesus. I love you so much. And I just pour out extravagance to you. You see, what she poured out was maximum. People can live their lives and say, God, what is the, 
what's the minimum I can give for the maximum benefit? But she poured extravagance out because love was on her heart and love was on her mind. And she poured out this extravagant worship to Jesus. And they said, that is such a waste. She could have used it to feed the poor. We know that Judas said it because the Bible said he was a thief. It's interesting, to the carnal mind, extravagant worship is always one step too far, if you like. You know what, you think about it, I thought about this the other day, almost, we're always going to, in some way, there's no option you're going to waste. You're going to waste your life. So, uh, there's no option of how you, that you're going to waste your life. The issue is, it's what you waste your life on, really. I can either waste my life on the things of this world and the values of this world, or I really can sense waste my life on Jesus. I'm pouring out love and adoration and worship to him. Mary chose, and Jesus said, that's the best portion. And what she's done will be remembered forever. And here it is, isn't it? Her story is told throughout the world. Century after century, her life has impacted others. And the Bible says as she began to worship and poured out that ointment, the whole of, the, the whole of that ointment, the fragrance has filled the room. There's something about worship that becomes a fragrance. In fact, the Bible says that, that our prayers are incense. I think as you mix your prayers with worship, it impacts the throne of God. But there's something about worship that creates a fragrance. In other words, an atmosphere is built. How many of you saw that film yesterday? Remember that guy walked into the room and says, that room, that woman's been praying in that room because she left an atmosphere. And there's something about worship that leaves an atmosphere. You can tell when people worship because there's an atmosphere in the place. You can tell when people don't worship because there's no real spiritual atmosphere. How many people say amen to that? We know at times when we really worship here because we... We have an atmosphere, a fragrance of his presence comes because something is released in the place of worship. And there's an alabaster bottle. That was a hard clay bottle, if you like, that they used, and it broke open. And we sort of sometimes go, break, break open what's in us. Break open the, 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 the things that resist, the things that hold back our worship, and be extravagant to pour out your heart to them. And, and just, you know, I think about worship, it's almost this picture of, spontaneous stuff. It's spontaneous. You know, I worship God and every day I worship Him, it's different every time. I, I haven't got any set... I know, I've got... Well, I sing this song, that song, that song. It's, it's actually no set way because almost as you worship, it's a spontaneity. Certain songs will come, certain verses to sing, certain things being tapped because worship begins to flow out of you. Out of your innermost being shall flow the Spirit. And as the Spirit flows in, it's a spontaneity. It flows out of you. It's not a performance, it's not natural. It's something in you begins to flow out of you. And you, and you begin to worship him in spirit and in truth. It's, it's a flow, it's spontaneity. Just flow out of your heart to him. And it so blesses his heart, it so touches his heart. And he descends in the true place of worship. The Bible says that he looks for those who worship me in spirit and truth. It doesn't necessarily, as I said before, it doesn't necessarily look for worship, he looks for what? Worship us. Let's worship him. Let's come for the Lord right now. Thanks, Cass. Let's spend these moments now and say, Lord, today, let's all stand for a few moments right now and just be like Mary of Bethany this morning. Just pour out your worship to him right now in these moments. 
Just pour out your worship to him right now in these moments. I said before, we don't even need a song. We can just worship him just where we are. Whatever way you want to express that worship. Let's spend a few moments now. Let me just have the music for a few minutes. Just let that music play. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.